Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arsketting coming to you live from North Carolina. And today is a day where we want to let the Lord confront us in whatever issues may be in our heart to have us walk into this season free from any encumbrances, as Scripture tells us, to that the Lord lo- loves those. He disciplines those whom he loves. And today is one of those days where, where we want to look at um, John chapter 4 and just look at what the Lord does here through his encounter with the woman at the well, um, even after with some of the Samaritans and the uh, noble leader of Capernaum whose son was sick and, and really dealing with some things in the heart of how they how they worship and more so how we worship as we we're going into entering into this new wineskin. And obviously it starts off with the woman at the well in John chapter four and the, just the entire way uh, of the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well of him asking for a drink and, and her response of how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman, since at that time the big racial divide uh, for the against the Jews and the Samaritans where they didn't even talk to each other. And the key thing here um, about how when she goes on and obviously dealing with the, the answering the question of her having no husbands, etc. Then in verse 19, she goes on to say, says, the woman uh, said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet after obviously he understands and and he tells her via prophetic wisdom uh, a word of knowledge that hey the one you say who is not your husband is true because you have five others etc and then in verse 20 he goes on to say is our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people this is her the woman at the well people say that in jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship and jesus said to her woman Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And she goes on to say, I know that you're the Messiah. Um, after being confronted with um, Jesus saying, he says, I am who you speak of about the Messiah, and then her being transformed. And uh, if you've ever seen The Chosen about this particular encounter, they do a good job of artistically showing the the transformation that she would have went through from 
the being downcast and trodden to being encouraged and really transforming the entire city and believed to now her becoming a disciple of Jesus and following after him. And so through that, as we let the Lord confront things in us, um, we just want to hear the, the prayer point Chuck has for this is to let the Lord confront you with a new way to worship as for her in that encounter on the mountain and ultimately seek him and ask, may your time of intimate worship turn outward of not just staying so internal of me, myself, and I, but okay, I've been transformed, renewed of my mind and go out and in this case be a light to the city. And the people knew that if if a woman like that could be transformed, how much more could they? And it's not to say that she's the worst or the best or whatever the case may be, but the reality is, is look at the, the encounter that she had there and everyone in the city knew it and her scholars believe that her entire countenance and, and lifestyle would have changed. So it's a great representation of when we let the Lord confront us, it's as the scripture says, is the Lord disciplines those whom, whom he loves is because he sees, and in sports you see this a lot with coaches, you know, they they tend to be a little rough sometimes, especially for males. Uh, but the reality is, is they see something inside of their the athlete that they're coaching or, or maybe it's business, whatever the case may be, a parent and a child. They see something of what they could become. That's why they discipline them. That's why they want them. You know, iron sharpens iron. And so we want to build on that and be aware and be humble. It, it, it is it is very humbling um, and sometimes not always easy, as even in this case. I mean, how embarrassing she, she, embarrassed she is in general just to be going out in the middle of the day rather than the morning with the rest of the, the women of the town. And so um, she's already going through a lot. <laughs> to a degree is we really could say is this, well why not Lord well, why why not just deal with this just let go um, you know why hold on to something that's going to carry us down so uh, um, we want to start there with that understanding as we go through some things today that we really do uh, in the church in America and throughout society. We really need to deal with some things and confront some things in order to be pruned, in order to walk out in a new intimate way of worship with the Lord. Uh, first off, we want to start on international news. So the Jerusalem Post had to yesterday had a conference and, and had a lot of speakers from Israel, the United States, um, about the dynamics of what's going on with Iran and Israel and U.S.'s support for Israel. And uh, you have Defense Minister Benny Gantz uh, come over and give a speech. And in the speech, he revealed a map. I'm going to try to blow it up here as best I can, uh, where there are 10 Iranian missile facilities in Syria uh, that Israel knows of. And this is a blow up of where those facilities are. Uh, it's kind of grainy. I'll put the link in the show notes and in the Facebook comment sections afterwards. And you can see where these little red dots are. Um, and Two in Aleppo, uh, one in Latakia, 
um, others throughout along the border, two in Damascus, and you can see how close some of these are to Israel and, and around Lebanon. And so we're seeing the reality of this situation and the relationship between Iran and Syria and how close you get now how close this is to Israel right here on the bottom left hand corner here and so we're seeing where and you can if you're on this border here but right here between uh, Lebanon Israel and Syria you can kind of see some of these battles uh, taking place sometimes where Israel uh, goes in in that region there uh, take place uh, right before I've seen I've been there at times when it's it's actually happened it's um it's uh, pretty interesting to say the least and one of the big things there is pointing out the fact that Iran and part of the vision of the former Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps commander uh, Qasim Sal Soleimani and this is why it was important imperative for Israel to to deal with him in some form or fashion is that this was part of his plan and how he used these what are called CERS um, facilities and put them into production to produce mid-range and long-range precise missiles and weapons that they would hand over to uh, terrorist organizations such as Hezbollah um, in certain countries and regions and even uh trying to get them somehow to the terrorist organizations within israel and, and the gaza strip golan heights etc to attack and hurt israel and then spreading them out elsewhere in lebanon and yemen um in other conflicts that they are involved in and, and this is one of the big reasons of why to kind of push back against this Iran nuclear deal because as Iran is sitting here saying, oh, we want to get out of these sanctions, it's hurting our people, which they've been saying that for quite some time, they've also been, and, and Benny Gantz points this out yesterday, uh, is that through all of these sanctions, Iran is still sending more than a $1 billion to its proxy groups uh, throughout the rest of the world in Lebanon, 500, $500 million going to Hezbollah. Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, hundreds of billion dollars of millions of dollars going to the Houthis in Yemen, and more than than hundred million to Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza, and tens of millions of dollars to pro-Iranian militias in Iraq. And this is why it's imperative that the United States not get back into this deal because this would again we've talked about release upwards of a trillion dollars over the next eight years to the Iranian leaders for them to do whatever they want with it. Um, Gantz then goes on to have another meeting with um, the United Nations. So two separate meetings. He's revealing a lot of different things going on here and talking about how Iran in just the last year alone has tripled its Enrich, uranium enrichment rate, uh, which is very alarming. Most likely means that they've gone from 60 to possibly closer to 90%, which is, is quite, quite alarming. He says, according to our assessments, in the past year, the number of advanced centrifuges has more than doubled in the underground facilities of Natanz and Fardow. 
And he also warned that the international community must ensure military deterrence. And obviously, he's asking for military and economic support, diplomatic support in the Iranian challenge. This, Knowing this has caused problems for France, UK, and Germany because of what's happening. Um, and so this is somewhat good things. And again, he brings up this, the, the fact that, look, if you give Iran this money, this is what they're going to do with it. Um, and some major red flags there as well that we're that he's pointing out and the reason i wanted to bring that up is is so we're aware of even during a time of economic crisis for iran with covid and etc and stuff like that this is what their focus is it's not on bringing economic relief for their people and this isn't to say that every iranian is a bad person it's to say that the leaders right now have an agenda to and it's a spirit the spirit of persia to inflict chaos into the rest of the worlds for their sole purpose and their agenda um and so and and it's more of a a a spirit of chaos uh, that that we understand and 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 so we want to keep that in mind keep that in check and pray for our leaders and making sure we cover them that in some form or fashion that as they try to do this uh, that they Pray that they don't is is the biggest thing on our hands and knees and cry out and, and let our tears uh, reach the throne room in this issue. And number one, repent for the Biden administration's stance to adherently just go full force into this deal. Um, pray again for the peace of Jerusalem as these deals go forward and intercede for the Biden administration military leaders to have the fear of the Lord when making decisions on Israel and Iran. Because as we, we learned last week is that at the moment, let's. Th this deal has to go through Congress for it to be official on on the United States end. But the moment, as we learned last week, that Biden signs this deal, money will then be opened up, billions of dollars to the Iranian uh, regime for them to do whatever they want with it before it even goes to Congress. That's the alarming part. That's what we want to make sure. Pray that it doesn't happen. Um, and some it would take a miracle at this point, unfortunately, for that not to occur. And that if it does occur, unfortunately, pray for those who see this and sign this of the ramifications uh, of this to never do something like this again. Hopefully, um, and they didn't learn their lesson last time with the original signing and originally just dumping cash to the Iranians of uh, the conflicts that it caused and so hopefully this time around we can see that uh, now more on domestic news is there's a story out of the washington examiner that has been following the agenda of the biden administration to work with liberal organizations involving around the coming midterm elections and the voting process and the Washington Post calls the plan has called the plan um, quote unquote making voting easier um, and the New York Times has um, both been saying you know promoting voting rights these are the things that they're both saying and when organizations have reached out and asked for a Freedom of Information Request Act, the DOJ has gone around not 
permitting the request, even as a judge, um, required them to. And, and the point I want to get to here is that, number one, even through this court battle and everything, the Biden administration is keeping mum about what they're doing um, and planning to get people registered to vote, how to get votes to them, how to get them to the vote, voting stations in a retaliation manner against what a lot of the Republican states have done in the, um, the voter integrity laws. So to kind of combat that, and, and I want to bring this up because as we today have the final primaries in, I want to make sure I get these states in Delaware, New Hampshire, and then Rhode Island, uh, we'll see now um, the full outline of what's to come for each race coming forward. And the interesting thing in this plan that the uh, Washington Examiner points out is that the Biden administration is only working with left-leaning progressive organizations. Like, there is no bipartisanship in this. It's okay, hey, you want to work with with both both parties and, and both type of organizations to try to get people registered. And this is a key point to to outline here is that you're seeing this on the left. They're coming together, and and whether they agree on everything or don't, they're coming in unison to figure out how to get people registered, number one, to vote, and then to get them to the voting stations, and who knows what else because we don't know. Then you have those on the Republican side who it's independent. It's it's if you don't do it on your own, uh, within your own state, you're kind of up the creek without a paddle. And so it's just something to be aware of. Uh, as we're moving forward and closer towards the midterms, and there's a great article that I want to piggyback off of this is from Real Clear Politics from Kirsten Hawkins, who points out that polling, no matter where the polling comes from, of when you start asking and asking questions to people in and around the issue of abortion, and th- you're seeing this play out in Ohio very, very well, that when Americans are asked about what they think about abortion at nine months, whether federal funding should go towards it, it heavily leans, um, the polling shows that Americans do not want to fund and go move forward with abortion at any level. Um, whereas a recent case study showed that a Harvard-Harris poll found that not only did voters not um, have tr- want money to go there, um, but overall, with inflation and everything, that only 10 support, 10% aborted supported allowing abortion through all nine months, um, which mirrors other polls as well. So you're seeing where when asked people, conservative, Democrat, whatever the case may be, they may want abortion early, you know, safe, legal, and rare, going back to the the old mantra. That's where they want it. But it's growing more and more that when they learn more about what happens, who's actually affected by this, that the younger generation, millennials and Gen Zs, are astonished um, as to who this really affects of blacks and minorities, etc. And we're seeing, again, I said, we're seeing this play out in Ohio when... Tim Ryan is is being questioned on this stuff, and he's staying silent. 
to a degree. He's saying, I support it, but I'm not really getting into the specifics of this. And I, I, I want to tell this story because we, we looked at what happened in Kansas with the vote on putting the amendment forward on the state ballot in order to pass it forward. And the problem with that was the mixed message. And where the Democrats were just saying, well, we want to allow abortion, didn't really get into specifics, and, and abortion groups were saying, we just want to allow abortion, you know, it's for the woman, et cetera, stuff like that. Obviously, we understand that argument. But the messaging from those who were supporting life, it was very mixed. It was confusing. That's what a lot of people said. They didn't understand how the resolution was written. Um, and that's going to be the battle. And, you know, there are those Biden and his allies, as the article points out, is saying that they they believed, and they're more so betting, they're taking a gamble, that voters will like abortion more than they won't, and more so like they do um, as a contentious point in believing the rhetoric um, that you know overturning Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, et cetera, and stuff like that. But polling is not showing that when you get down to it, and, and point back to the 2016 presidential election, when both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were pointedly asked, do you support abortion at nine months? Hillary Clinton said yes. Donald Trump said absolutely not. That was the turning point in that race of when you stand for life. And so hopefully, again, this should be the running point as well as education and other things for people who want to continue to establish moral values to say the least and the value of life um, to bring this type of stuff up and something we need to be aware of is 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 that is a saving point um, for life in this this nation that hopefully more politicians can can point this out pointedly and ask direct questions as JD Vance is doing in Ohio and and putting Tim Ryan on the the on his heels to say the least. Uh, uh, and moving fo- forward closer to the midterms. Okay, now another thing to be aware of and pay attention to is Pete Buttigieg, uh, Mayor Pete, Transportation Secretary, has come out and said that he is interested in how California and other states are going about banning uh, sale of new gas cars and pushing for um, EVs and re- you know renewable policies and et cetera, stuff like that. Uh, because he obviously there's only so much he can do at the federal level and he likes where things are going. The problems with this is that number one, they're looking to California for how to make decisions. And it's interesting to see that is in reality, we've, we've hinted at it before. Uh, and I think it's something that this is hinting at is that Buttigieg is really promoting what Gavin Newsom is doing as governor of California. And, could he be leading the direction of the Democratic Party? Calm the next go around. Maybe, maybe not. If people really, really like this, um, but it's also something to see. Of hey, this is also a warning of what could potentially be coming down the road uh, with all of this craziness involved in how they're going about all of this, and really something to pay attention to. Of another example of something to ask politicians about of what. How do you feel on these certain issues and look at California and the problems that they're um, having there with how they're 
controlling, literally controlling people's thermostats if they're opted in via their smart home thermostats, as a lot of people in the state of California are involved with, as because there was a, a program uh, several years ago that California sent out free, um, or, or almost free if I remember right, uh, smart home thermostats, uh, but in order to have it, you had to opt in, etc., stuff like that. And, and so this is actually not the first year that this has happened. I actually talked to somebody who, who has insight, used to live out in California on this situation. This has been happening for years. It's just now being blown out of, blown up because of um, the fires and, and the whole shift towards this. And, and so something to, to see here as Mayor Pete is, pu- is pushing this, um, as he has more power at the federal level and possibly might follow some of the, the standards being set out in California. So something to be fully aware of moving forward. And then on the voting process of the bills this week is Schumer is trying to speed up the process of putting this forward and, and adding in uh, some new contingencies are uh, more so amendments to this. And, and there's, again, continued pushback and more pushback as now we talked a little bit about it yesterday. The, the 72, um, the Wall Street Journal is reporting it, more than 70 Democrats sent a letter opposing the inclusion, which causes a problem for Nancy Pelosi in trying to get this passed through um, moving forward. And then also Schumer, he needs 60 votes. So this is going to be contentious uh, moving forward as they're going to try to put this continuing resolution. And they're they're in a rock and a hard place of what to do, of do we stand by the agreement that Chuck Schumer and the leadership of the Democratic Party made with Joe Manchin, or do we abandon it, um, which would not be good moving forward. But I think it also shows a divide within the Democratic Party. So um, on this issue specifically, we really, really want to pray for um, and, and intercede for both sides of the aisle, Democrat and uh, congressional leaders to stand against this Bernie Sanders agenda uh, of spending um, into oblivion and, and crippling the next three to four generations as not only this, but other issues as well moving forward could potentially come up and affecting where money is spent um, and harming future generations. Uh, and now something we really, really, really need to pay attention to is there is a request, a letter request of signing from... so. Let me back up. There's the Title IX issue that was yesterday that you could give your comments, etc., stuff like that. That we were suggesting you sign, we signed it, and, and, and to voice our opinion to those within the authority to not go forward with that. Now, on the same-sex marriage equality bill that's and some are calling the respect for marriage act there is a quote-unquote uh, gop of a letter uh, that states this uh, i want to bring it up here this is quite alarming uh to say the least and it says this republicans and conservatives across america call on the u.s senate to preserve the freedom to marry hmm. Hmm. 
Very interesting. As Republicans and conservatives, we believe strong families, lasting relationships, strengthen communities. And civil marriage is a fundamental freedom central to the individual liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We stand with the 71% of Americans today, including a majority of registered Republicans, who support the freedom to marry for all Americans. I would want to know where those stats come from, number one. Um, together, we call on the U.S. Senate to pass the Respect for Marriage Act and reaffirm that marriage for gay and lesbian couples is settled law. Hmm. Quite interesting. Passing the Respect for Marriage Act will remove any uncertainty for the more than one million Americans who are building families, taking on the responsibilities and commitment associated with marriage and caring for the one they love. Simply put, the Respect for Marriage Act treats all American families as each of us would want to be treated. Hmm. We're doing this uh, of, of a country with 300 plus million people for 1 million people. We're going to redefine how marriage um, in, in law, how marriage is defined. Now, the reason this is alarming is that this is number one being led by the GOP Republicans, but that more than 400 Current and former GOP officials have signed this letter asking lawmakers to enshrine the same-sex marriage bill. It's the homosexuality bill, is I've seen other Christian organizations call it, and that is exactly it. This is alarming that 400 people who say they stand for, they, that they should stand as the Republican platform stands right now, for marriage between a man and a woman, that this is what they stand for. Um, one of the big, big names on this that we know has signed it is Ken Melham, who was the former uh, RNC chairman and former uh, re-election campaign manager for President Bush at the time. You also have uh, Dr. Oz as a part of this, as well as, as some concerns for him have uh, started to arise there in this situation. In, that situation um it's it's the lesser of two evils unfortunately in that case um you have a group called the georgia law cabin a pro lgbtq republican organization said in a tweet that it believes in strong families lasting relationships um and again this is going to, what's hilarious about this is they're going against something bill clinton did um in the defense of marriage act uh, dr oz has come out um some others um uh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, Colorado State nominee uh, Joey O'Day signed. No, these are people we know have signed on to it. Uh, other former Trump officials. Um, but a full list, something to pay attention to, is a full list of the 400 names is supposed to be released to the public today. So that'll be interesting to see who comes out who says that they sign and stand for this. Um, in reality, this it is not marriage. It is a, a partnership. It's whatever you, you want to call it. Um, it, it is not marriage, and to sit here and, and to fool ourselves into thinking that it is it is disastrous and, and eroding at the foundations of not only um, our foundations, but going against God. Um, very, very alarming and something we, we really want to pay attention to. And then last note, on a good note, for those in New York is that um, <laughs> Interim Governor Kathy Hochul says she will, weeks before the uh, tight election race, for governor uh, in COVID emergencies. Um, quite interesting. And there are some Republicans who have pointed out that um, there are campaign donors who have given to her who uh, benefited from this 
as they have bought all the COVID tests and everything. So for those in New York, uh, this is a positive news and something to well, quite interesting when when you get closer towards uh, people having to make a decision and deciding what to do. Um, you remove the free the 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 freedoms you took away from them and, and, and giving it back to them. So for those in New York, need to be aware um, and, and and aware of what is trying to occur through this of potentially buying votes per se um very interesting to see that this comes about she had opportunity to pull it back as as florida and and, and texas and other states did a year or so ago (laughs) a year and a half ago uh so very interesting to see this so we want to be aware about what's going on in this nation some things to prey on um some things to look forward to in the weeks ahead as we continue on this journey of restoring our covenant blessing and able to enter in the throne room boldly to the Lord. And today we just want to remind ourselves of letting the Lord confront things inside of us. And specifically the GOP-led issue to support this marriage, quote-unquote, marriage equality act. And it's really the marriage redefining act, uh, per se, at the end of the day. But that so many people who align with that we might align with are saying that they adherently do not agree with biblical moral values and the foundations found in Genesis of marriage being between one man and one woman. That is that is the thing we need to, to number one, repent of, but deal with um, at a heart level in this issue and, and more so within the church is where where do some of the people in the church align with this and that's that's more the focus of this issue so with that i'll close blessing each every one of you don't forget to like share subscribe wherever you're watching listening from and be sure to share and leave a five-star review wherever you listen and watching blessings and i will see you guys later have a good one